Hello, my name is Andrew Gomison, and it is my privilege to welcome you to the Speaking for Him podcast. Each and every week, I am here offering you encouragement on this journey that we call the Christian life, and I'm so thankful for the privilege. I understand that the Christian life is not a sprint, but rather a marathon, and that we were not intended to walk this road alone. So I hope that as you are encouraged, you will share this with your family and friends. And if you take the time to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, I would very much appreciate it. All right, so what are we talking about today? Well, our main topic of discussion is wrapping up our Unique Characteristics of Christianity series by talking about the unique perspective that Christianity puts on personhood. Humans are people who live in extremes. Either we think too highly of ourselves, which the Bible warns us against, or we think too lowly of ourselves, which is also a bad practice. So Christianity shows us, on one hand, that we are made in the image of God, but it also reminds us that in our flesh dwells no good thing. And I'm looking forward to digging into this balance with you in a little bit. But first, let's talk about what is going on. The first story that I would like to talk to you about today deals with some hypocrisy on the left regarding classified documents. Now, Joe Biden sure had a bad case of the Mondays. After the president rolled into work late this afternoon, finally back from his weekend getaway to Delaware. But it wasn't a relaxing weekend for the big guy. After another batch of highly classified documents were found stored away in Joe's home in Wilmington. That's five more documents found in his private library. That's on top of the other five classified documents already found stashed right next to his Corvette. And the ten ten documents found at the Penn Biden Center, his Chinese-funded think tank. The more they keep digging, the more documents they find. Now, Joe may be telling everyone that these documents were safe, but back in Washington... Patience is running thin. I'm glad that there is a special prosecutor that's been appointed to investigate. You are glad that there is a special prosecutor. Classified documents are to be taken seriously. No one is above the law. So um, uh, I'm glad to see the Justice Department doing its work. Well, it's certainly embarrassing, right? It's not just Democrats turning on Joe. Even the media is laughing at him. So there's Biden and his sweet 1967 Stingray. But look on the back left there. I don't know if we can push in there, but that looks like a mess. That's worse than my garage. (laughs) That's worse than my garage. I mean, that's not where I don't know exactly where the documents are in that garage, but that does not look like what a secure location would be. And the media can't deny it any longer. Joe Biden was sloppy and irresponsible with these documents. Unlike Donald Trump, Joe wasn't president when he took them and therefore had no power to declassify. But some Democrats can't admit that Biden was irresponsible. By Biden's own standard, wasn't Biden 
totally irresponsible with classified information. Hoping that we will keep a sense of symmetry about our analysis of these situations and a sense of proportion about the underlying offenses. There's some people who are trying to compare uh, having a government document um, that should no longer be in your possession to inciting uh, a violent insurrection. And others, like Adam Schiff, are now saying they're not rushing to any conclusions. White House knew about this on November 2nd. Should this information have been revealed earlier? Uh, I think the administration will need to answer that question. Uh, I'm going to reserve judgment until they do. But I think it's important to point out uh, that the Biden uh, approach was very different in the sense that um, it looks, uh, as far as we can tell, that it was inadvertent that these documents were in these locations. Since when has Adam Schiff ever reserved judgment? It would have been nice if he reserved judgment over Russiagate. It was only when he was put under oath that he admitted he had nothing. These documents were left up for grabs, left right in the open, ready for the taking. We know the president's Wilmington home has had a history of faulty security lapses. In 2015, the vice president's Secret Service actually shut off his security system because it kept malfunctioning. How do we know it was ever fixed? And it will only be a matter of time until the liberal media starts asking who had access to these highly classified documents. Okay, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this story. I don't know many of the details, but I just want to point out for you the amount of chaos that ensued when Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate was raided by the FBI versus the lackadaisical approach that Democrats are taking to this Joe Biden kerfuffle with classified documents. The fact of the matter is that it is entirely possible that Donald Trump had his documents in a far more secure location, albeit in Mar-a-Lago, than did Joe Biden in a pile by his Corvette. Now, we don't know what kind of pile. We don't know if it was boxes or whatnot, but it definitely seems that in both cases, these documents were not secured. Another key point that Judge Perraro makes in her statements in this regard is discussing the fact that these documents were not able to be declassified by the vice president. Only the president holds the power to declassify classified documents. So that is a difference that is made. And then I simply want to point out the hypocrisy of Adam Schiff saying that he wants to reserve judgment before he jumps to any conclusions regarding this. Does he even realize how much better it would have been for the American people if he had the same attitude when it came to President Trump? I just think we need to look at people on both sides and hold them equally accountable in the same ways. So if you're going to go hard after one side, you should go hard after the other. And I think the most important thing for us to know from these situations is to be above board and to live life's integrity.
so we don't get caught in these situations. And if this is the way the leader of our country is going to act, what kind of example does it set for the rest of America? I talk a lot on this show about personal responsibility and the fact that we need to take personal responsibility for our actions. And this is just another example where it does not appear that the most powerful person in the free world is doing that. This next story comes out of Florida, where Ron DeSantos is once again holding a big corporation accountable for their actions. The Pathway to Hockey Summit is scheduled to take place next month in Fort Lauderdale during the NHL's All-Star Weekend. But it was only open to certain people, these people, those identifying as female, black, Asian, or Pacific Islander, Hispanic or Latino, indigenous, LGBTQ, and or a person with a disability. Veterans were also included. The governor expressed his outrage through his spokesman saying this, discrimination of any sort is not welcome in the state of Florida, and we do not abide by the woke notion that discrimination should be overlooked if applied in a politically popular manner or against a politically unpopular demographic. The NHL has since eliminated any reference to ethnic, gender, sexual orientation, and military veteran status. A spokesperson tells Fox the original wording was incorrect <laughs> and that anyone 18 Whoa. or older can attend. Wow, what a uh, change of events there, David. <laughs> you know, this really gets to this broader conversation, especially you know as we talk about Martin Luther King, of, of getting away from content of the character this drive towards equity actually is discriminatory. Well, equity is the new racism, but I, I want to put a little more context. Yeah. This. I called a friend of mine who's a former professional hockey player. I was actually going to go to the All-Star game coming up that weekend, February 4th, 5th weekend. Kim Davis is the problem here. Kim Davis was brought in by the NHL, and here's her history. Uh, corporate philanthropic community tied to Hillary Clinton as an advisor, senior manager at 10 AO. She pushes corporate responsibility and inclusive leadership practices, AKA DEI across corporations. This is part of the grift. Now, Biden was speaking to the national action network mm -hmm. led by the biggest race and poverty pimp in the world, Al Sharpton. This is a grift. This is a game. They, by doing what Kim Davis and the NHL wanted to do down in Florida, were actually excluding a part of their big base, which, hey, hockey, majority, Caucasians around the world. But, yes, many blacks. I love live hockey. Right. People of all ethnicities who don't identify when they walk in. They just want a good seat behind the glass. Well, you know, and Jackie, but Governor DeSantis called them out and, and yes. they backed down. So maybe that's the direction every governor. And, and that's just what I wanted yeah. to say. I think we should applaud Governor DeSantis for standing up and saying what everybody is thinking, but too scared to say. You need more governors like that. And he's telling the NHL and he's telling Disney, nope, you're not going to do this in my state and you're not going to exclude people. If you want to raise interest in hockey, it should be open to all. But the funniest part is when they amended this statement and said, <laughs> oh, no, it was open to anyone regardless, as long as you were over 18. That's not what it said. And they were purposefully keeping people out, discriminating in some ways. It's it, to the point you made in the last segment about Dr. King and his messaging. I think it's just so funny the way we have story after story of people thinking that reverse discrimination is diversity, that the answer to past discriminations is to discriminate more. I've always been of the mind that 
successful minorities and people with disabilities should get up and talk to people about how they've been successful and not be behind this idea of catering to the fact that people can't succeed without being given major head starts in life. The fact of the matter is that I have dealt with a lot of discrimination on the work level. I realize that my best work opportunities have been when people have helped me. So I do realize that I need certain help in order to achieve the things that I achieve. The things that I've done in my ministry could not be done by myself. My ministry is good because of the people that are around me, my parents, my friends, my family. I've talked at length about the myriad of people that have made this podcast successful. So I do understand that help can sometimes be needed. But when we get to the point where we think that help means prioritizing one race or one ability group or whatever category you want to put on there over someone else, we just end up doing the reverse of what was done many years ago that we fought against. And so I'm very pleased that Ron DeSantos is calling out this inequity, this wokeness, and the fact that the NHL backed right off it kind of tells you all you need to know about them, that that was their initial thought was to discriminate against the, quote, majority of people in favor of the minority. And we need to get to a place where people who have succeeded are spending their time helping people succeed instead of making excuses for them why they can't. My final news story of the day is a story uh, that is kind of a continuation of what is happening in Buffalo with the DeMar Hanlon situation. As a refresher, DeMar Hanlon, a couple weeks ago on Monday Night Football, collapsed and had his heart stop while he was on the field. He was given CPR both on the field and in the ambulance, and he was revived a couple different times. He survived, and he is recovering nicely. And this clip talks a little bit about how Josh Allen and the rest of the Buffalo Bills have been affected by DeMar Hanlon's experience. I said this in my press conference the other day, just kind of a spiritual awakening for really for me, and I know for a lot of other people that maybe didn't have the strongest um, uh, belief or what one of the biggest you know, strong, strongest Christian followers. And to kind of see what had transpired here, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy feeling. It's something I've never felt before. It's something that I know a lot of my teammates had never felt before. Um, and you really can't do anything but accept it and, um, you know, lean on your brothers and, and share that moment with them. And, uh, that, that kickoff, that was, uh, the, the kickoff return was pretty crazy too. So, uh, there's a lot of things that went on and, and a lot of, uh, just eye opening, um, I guess situations that have just kind of stumbled upon us or we've stumbled upon them. And I think it's been, uh, it, it's been crazy. It's been not fun, but at the same time, it's been, uh, very validating. And I want to know more about that because 
you mentioned it. You go through this unfathomable week. In the meantime, you still have to play a home game against the Patriots. It's important. And the Patriots win the toss, and they defer, and then some sort of miracle happens. And I want to play you a clip, Josh, of yourself. This is after the game, talking about that moment. Take a look. It was just spiritual. You know, I just I was going around and I just something I was going around my team and saying, God's real. Like you can't you can't draw that one up, write that one up any better. Um, and I, I was just told by Kevin Curran, it's been three years and three months. <sighs> Since the last kickoff return, so it's pretty cool. What's it like to watch that back? I get I get tears in my eyes thinking about it and, and rewatching that clip and um yeah, I, I for people saying the NFL scripted and rigged and all this, I don't I don't think they understand what's really going on. Uh but again to that point, I've never been struck like that before uh from a play from 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 an experience um from an emotion it's it's never hit me that way before and again like i'm i'll be the first to admit like i haven't been the the most devoted christ follower in my life and um i've had my different beliefs and um thoughts and ideas and and stuff like that but you know something got a hold of me there and uh it was it was extremely powerful that you know i couldn't deny First of all, let me say, I don't think that God cares too much about who wins football games. So I think the, the statement about the kickoff return itself being spiritual might be a little bit of an overstatement. But I think what is interesting is the way that these players in the, on the Buffalo Bills have been awakened to the fact that God is real and that he's working in their midst. Now, I know some people will say, but God doesn't revive everybody, or sometimes people die. Yes, that is very true. But God is in the business of getting people's attention however he can, and I do believe that often he uses miraculous healing to do that. As a matter of fact, if you look in Scripture, you see that as a pretty standard principle. Because whenever Jesus was going around healing... Uh, his main purpose was to convey some spiritual truth. Did he want to heal people and want to help them? Absolutely he did. But his purpose in doing so was to engage people, to show them who he was, and to show them that he cared for them. And in the case of the man born blind, was it exciting that he went to wash in the pool of Siloam and came back seeing? Absolutely. But the far more meaningful thing was at the end of that passage when Jesus comes back to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of God? And then the blind man says, Who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, You have seen him, and it is he who speaketh with you. And he bows his knee and believes on Jesus. That is the most important part of that passage. And so while I don't believe that God cares whether the Bills return to touchdown 98 yards on the opening kickoff or whether they win the Super Bowl, 
I do believe that he's doing a work in that locker room and to hear uh, Josh Allen say that he's considering the Christian faith in a way he never has before because of what happened to DeMar, that is very encouraging. And so I hope that that will encourage you that God is at work in the everyday life that we go through. He's not just at work in the amazing once-in-a-lifetime events, but he's at work in the everyday life, and he cares about the everyday life. As we begin this discussion, I want to share with you our quote of the day. And it comes from Psalm 119, 73 and 74, which says, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. So the psalmist is basically talking about the fact that the Creator God fashioned him. And so because the Creator God fashioned him, then the Creator God has something to say about the way that he lives his life. And then he says, those that fear you, in other words, your children, will be grateful when they see me because I have hoped in thy word. So it will be obvious to those around him especially those who also believe in God, that he had followed God, and that will be an encouragement to them. And I thought this was a good jumping-off point for our discussion because as we look into this purposeful personhood topic, we realize that God doesn't make mistakes when he makes us, that he has a purpose for each person and a plan for each person And so that is the perspective that we are taking as we discuss this important issue. So the first thing I want to bring out is that we are created in God's image. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creepeth, Upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So this lays out the blueprint for the creation of mankind. He created man in his image. Uh, Man is also the only thing that God physically created, if you could say that, because everything else God spoke into existence. In the case of mankind, it says that we were made from the dust of the ground, and he formed us, and then he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. That makes us unique in the pantheon of creation. And then it says, he created male and female. So he had a purpose in making you male or female. This is something that is so lost in a lot of today's culture, and even People that are claiming to be Christians or pastors are trying to make excuses for something other than male and female as God intended. So that's the first thing for us to remember is that we were created in God's image. The next thing is that none of us are righteous. 
Because if we walk around and saying, well, I'm special, I'm created in God's image, and we, we flaunt that around, that could lead to pride. But the balance that we have here is that none of us are righteous. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Romans 3, 10, and 11. And this is a sobering passage, because... It says there's none righteous, no, not one. Then it says there's none that understandeth. Then probably the most sobering thing that it says is there is none that seeketh after God. You see, we think that our capacity to seek after God comes from us, that eventually we get to this point where we're so desperate that we simply seek after God. But the reality is that even the desire to seek after God comes from God. As a matter of fact, Jesus put it this way, no man comes to me except the Heavenly Father draws him. So now as we continue on in this conversation of personhood, having those two balanced truths in front of us to keep our scale in balance, we read these hopeful things. The hairs on our head are all numbered. Matthew ten twenty nine to 31 says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows. Now I don't know about you, but I have never tried to count the number of hairs on my head. And I had quite a few hairs on my head when I was portraying the ghost of Christmas present at Master Arts Theater. It was so fun. It's hard to believe it was a month ago since we were doing that show, but it's memories that I will carry with me for my entire life. But one of the biggest was that I grew my hair out longer than I have ever done before. So, man, I had a lot of hair. And just thinking about the fact that God knew exactly how many hairs that was, and he has them all counted, is pretty um, special, and it's pretty overwhelming to think about. Uh, There's another passage where Jesus says, two sparrows do not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing. And so I think that that puts things in perspective too because it reminds you, especially in this passage, that we are of greater value than sparrows. And so God cares about us. He wants what's best for us. And as I said, he has all the hairs on our head numbered. So that should tell us that there isn't anything uh, to know about us that God doesn't know because Numbering our hair is getting right down to the minutiae, down to the most intimate detail of us. But the Bible says that he knit us together in our mother's womb, so he had a very specific plan when making us, and he has a very specific plan to use us. So our first few points as they stand right now is that we are created in God's image. None of us are righteous. The hairs on our head are all numbered. The next thing on our list is we each have specific gifts for use in the kingdom of God. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, 
for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that is 1 Peter 4, 8-11. And in this passage, Peter is saying that we are to have love for one another, and love covers a multitude of sins. I know what it's like as a human to be frustrated with someone and want to point out every flaw that that person has, both to them and to others. But the Bible says that if we love someone, we should do our best to cover their sins and to not put them out for the public to see. That's why the Bible says that the proper approach to being reconciled to your brother is to go be reconciled one-on-one with your brother. If your brother won't listen to you, then bring a third party And if the third party is still not being listened to, then you bring it before a larger group like your local church. But you involve as few people um, as possible. One good saying to think about in these regards, too, is that if you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem. So a lot of times if you involve many, many people into a dispute, They don't always know all the facts and they choose sides and then it becomes something big and ugly when it could have been dealt with in a much more graceful and efficient manner. And then it talks about gifts, like using hospitality one to another and using the gifts that God gave you for his kingdom to the best of your ability. And as I've said On previous episodes of this podcast, that also includes not envying someone's gift and wishing that you had that gift. Sometimes we spend so much time wishing we had another gift that we're not using effectively the gift that God indeed gave gave us. And then we, we read about the soberness of speaking for God. You know, every time I come before this mic to do this podcast, I'm reminded of the sober responsibility I have to preach the truth without compromise. And then it just talks about ministering in general and says minister to the best of your ability. Again, focusing on those gifts that God has given you and not being distracted by the gifts that you wish that you had. And why do we do all this stuff? The way we do it is that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ because he deserves all praise and dominion forever and ever. We need to take the focus off us and put it on him. Because the reality is that without him we can do nothing. And without him we would be headed to a Christless eternity, paying for our own sin in hell. Because he took our sin and gave us his righteousness, we can enjoy heaven. And then we see that God made us. Jeremiah 1 5 to 7 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, 
for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. So this is the story of Jeremiah and his call to be a prophet. We don't know how old he was, but he must have been at least somewhat young because he calls himself a child. And God says, Say not, I am a child. Because I have called you to do this, and I would not have called you to do this if you couldn't do it. God gives us a calling, and then he equips us for that calling. And we need to trust him. Which leads to my next and final point. We should surrender to him. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. You know, there's a lot of people that question what they should do next. And I think Paul gives us a lot of wisdom in these couple verses. First he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What does he mean by that? Because of the mercy that God has given us, because he extended us love and grace when we didn't deserve it, we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So we should live our lives in a way that pleases God because we are thankful for his sacrifice. Not out of obligation, but out of gratitude. And then Paul says, this is a reasonable service. For instance, we are to forgive others because God, through Christ, hath forgiven us. And then we read, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we have two choices, either be conformed to the world, do what the world says, get as close to the world as we can. And I know this is a temptation for us as Christians to get as close to the world as we can without actually stepping over into the world. But that's not a good practice. Instead, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? We do that by reading the Word of God, by committing it to memory, and by spending time with the Lord's people who can encourage and edify us in the things of the Lord. And then why should we be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want to know God's will, being surrendered to him and being tuned into his word is a good way to find it. I'm just going to say here that I know that there are varying degrees of decisions that need to be made and not all of them should be be dealt with with the same severity or gravity as others. But for the most severe, the most important decisions that you have to make before God, if you surrender yourself, if you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you will be able to figure out what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And it's my hope and prayer for each of you that you would Surrender yourself to God in this way. 
The reason that Speaking for Him was founded was to encourage people to walk closer with the Lord Jesus. Because when we walk with the Lord, He will do great and mighty things through us. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if we want to do all the things that God has for us, and then we want to do greater and more mighty things uh, than we even think possible, then being in Christ and abiding in Him and spending time in His Word and spending time with His people, that is the way to go. So that's about all I have time for this week, but I just wanted to encourage you with these words, and if you found uh, this episode to be encouraging or any of the other episodes in this series, please let people know that they can find them in my archives. I will try to get the episodes of this series into a singular playlist in the next couple weeks so they are easier to find, and I hope that you will continue to listen next week. I will be delving into my five best reads of 2022. I've been trying to do that over the last several years, share with you some of my best reads from the previous year to encourage your reading, especially in this time that we find ourselves in in winter when we're not able to get out and about quite so much. So until next week, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.